intention interior trucking companies if you are relying on facility insurance you could be overpaying reduce your insurance cost by 10000 or more per truck and good news we accept drivers with only 1 years of experience to learn more just send us text by typing insurance to 3653640714 thank you and shocking this is going to shock you but they are not aware of the fact that driver related charges impact their CVOR driver related charges impact your CVOR that is Jody Burness from Burness Paralegal and we have the pleasure of having Jody on our 20th episode as a podcast uh, so with that let's get right to it welcome to the dog on it trucking podcast I'm your host Chris Harris safety dog and when it comes to trucking safety the dog is on it please if you would show your appreciation for the podcast by leaving a thumbs up a comment a rating it would help me so much well thank you very much I appreciate you now let's get on with the show Jody, welcome to the Dog On It Trucking Podcast. Thanks so much for coming on. Well, thank you, Chris, very much for the invitation. Oh, you're always welcome to come here. I've heard you speak. <laughs> oh, Don't say that. <laughs> I've heard you speak so many times. Um, God, it, it, where were we most recently? I think you were a guest when I last saw you at the IHSA building. Yes, that's right. That's at the annual conference. Oh, is that? Okay, see? I forgot what it was, but that was the last time we had spoken. But I've heard you speak several times at the, um, uh, the truck drivers. Um, General meetings, staff meetings, or the, the uh, Fleet Safety Council uh, monthly meetings. Yeah. That's what it is. Fleet Safety Council monthly meetings. And yeah. uh, Charlie... Shout out. Chapter. <laughs> Are you a member of the Hamilton chapter? I am. See? That's... I don't know. I don't... I don't even remember how I ended up there, to be honest, because I'm from London. How I ended up in Grimsby, I have no idea. It's been so long, but <laughs> I think they were the only ones that extended their arms and I showed up and then I just never left. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, yeah. In one of our episodes just before you, we had Charlie Charlomblis from IHSA. Uh, and he yeah. was talking about the uh, Driver Safety Council. So. Yes, great organization. It is. Um, yeah. Tell us about Burness Paralegal. How long so Burness Paralegal. I was going to say, how long have you been in business and that type of stuff? So I've been a paralegal for 23 years. Um, prior to Burness Paralegal, I was E&B paralegal, but through licensing with the Law Society, uh, it was a complicated transition, but uh, we adopted Burness Paralegal as the, the company name, but uh, I have been representing truck drivers and carriers for over two decades now, and it is my absolute passion. I am from the trucking industry. My father was a truck driver. My brother's a truck driver. My aunt's a truck driver. Trucking is in my blood, but I was never going to drive a truck. So naturally, uh, my love of the law was just a, a very comfortable fit with trucking, and many years ago, I had a chance to go into a courtroom and represent a carrier on uh, a pushrod charge, which is the bulk of many of our charges, but um, I won that charge and I was hooked. 
And it's been, it's been a, a hell of a ride. <laughs> That's awesome. So I didn't know that you were so closely uh, tied to the trucking industry. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, we joke and say that I, uh, I grew up inside a truck. I mean, my father drove for Better Beef for a number of years between Toronto and Montreal. And, uh, I mean, I was in that bunk any, ch any chance I got. I mean, that was my, that was, that was a treat, you know. And so I, 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 it's an industry that I know inherently from the inside out. And coming from the legal um, vantage point, it's just another component that um, I wanted to know a lot about. I've had wonderful opportunities in those years. Uh, everybody from carriers extending the opportunity to go and, you know, get under trucks and get on trucks and, you know, see different types of loads. So it's, um, it, every day is a learning opportunity. That's, that's huge. It, let's change subjects a little bit. In, you mentioned that you were fighting a pushrod um, charge. That was your yeah. first uh, case. Why should a carrier fight a charge? So realistically, there is, there's many reasons, but a carrier will want to fight a charge primarily to protect that CBOR. So, you know, a, a ticket for a pushrod charge is 400 bucks, and they are going to spend a considerable amount more than that to go through the fighting process but the reason you want to do it is because it's your only opportunity retroactively to protect your CVOR. Everything else, collisions, inspections, those are all proactive approaches. The only thing you can react to is conviction points. The only way you get rid of conviction points is by mitigating or eliminating them in a courtroom. Yeah, or, well, there's, there's, yeah. Once you're charged, the only way to get uh, kind of uncharged is to fight the ticket. That's it. That, that, there is no other mechanism. And that's why I say, people say, oh, well, you know, I want to fight collision points. Mm, that process is so complicated and the chances of you being successful are so minimal that that, in my view, is not where you want to spend your money. People say, I want to, I want to fight inspection points. Well, there is no mechanism to fight inspection points. So you might as well forget about that. And what's left? Conviction points. And how do you defend against those or how do you prevent them? Well, I mean, there is the, the training component, so you don't get charged. But if the charge happens, then the only way you can do anything about that is to defend against that charge. And whether it be a ticket or a summons, you're going to have to eventually go into a courtroom and do something constructive uh, to, to, to disprove or, to, or mitigate that allegation. Well, plus, as you know, the uh, collisions are worth 40% of the CBR overall violation rate. Convictions are also worth 40 big ones, and then inspections are only worth 20. So, you know, myself, I wouldn't spend the money to fight inspections when they're only worth 20, but my God, to help get rid of, like, 40% is huge. It's huge. I mean, it's almost half of your overall violation rate. And I think the unfortunate thing is that a lot of carriers don't understand the numbers. They don't understand the system of the CVOR, and, and, and I don't necessarily blame them. It is a very complicated system. Uh, it was one thing prior to 2007. It became something else after that date, and we've all been playing catch-up, and the information is not readily available. And so defend, you can defend the charge on your own, obviously. That is a, that is a constitutional right, but 
going into a courtroom, you are at a disadvantage, right? If you are self-represented, that judge isn't there to help you, that prosecutor's not there to help you, most certainly that clerk isn't there to help you, and you are assuming the law one way without recognizing or being able to see around the corner, and uh, you're at a complete disadvantage. And so um, there are times where, regardless of what you do, at least you're taking the step to defend yourself or defend your company or have that driver defend him or herself. But at the end of the day, if you're going to get to that point, at least hire competent representation so that you are learning from the experience. Because at the end of the day, the person that's representing you should be preparing you so that you don't need them. That, in my view, that is my philosophy. Well, many carriers um, hire paralegals so that they don't have to learn how to defend themselves. And I'm kind of right. in that uh, belief pattern because many carriers, you already mentioned, don't understand the CVR, for right. instance. I think that's fundamental in a safety department or for a small carrier to understand that mechanism. And then why should I understand the court thing? You know, I want to train my drivers not to get tickets. And when it happens, it's going to happen. But when it happens, I'd rather hire, hire you, somebody like you that is extremely skilled. I mean, gosh, you said you got 26 years of experience? 23. 23 years? That's yeah. a lot of experience. If I went into court myself, who do you think is going to do a better job? Well, it's not, it's not just that, Chris. It's, when I say being, being properly represented, obviously you have, that person should know all the consequences that you're facing, right? So that, for a carrier or a, or a, or a, a um, commercial driver, it's the CVR system. So they should know the system in and out. They should know how many points are at risk, uh, if you're going to mitigate the charge, what those points look like. But at the same time, know what those points will do to you. Know how to calculate your overall violation rate on a theoretical uh, equation. And, and that's, I think, what a lot of uh, people are missing. On top of all of that, when I talk about competent representation, I'm not just saying I'm going to take your file, you're going to be kept in the dark, I'm going to go into the courtroom, wave a magic wand, come out the other end, and you think I'm amazing. That, that may be a result, but that's, in my view, you've missed the mark in terms of what you should be getting from that representation. I like to say, uh, we joke all the time here, that our motto is, is education through litigation. Because I've got to drive those highways too. And if, and if part of that is making sure that you, as a carrier, as my client, are apprised of how that charge happened, what the law really is, and what you should have done to avoid the charge in the first place, then I think I'm doing my part to keep the road safe. And, right, I mean, we deal with very serious charges, such as, you know, fatalities, wheel off, unsafe vehicle, and then we deal with, um, you know, other mechanical and load security issues, et cetera. I mean, anything from a Highway Traffic Act. But, but those, those biggies, the, the unsafe, those are the ones that are going to present the greatest learning opportunity. Those are the ones that you want your legal representative to tell you, okay, this is exactly how the charge happens. It would, I think it would blind you, Chris, to know how many carriers I will ask on the phone on a daily and say, okay, tell me about the charge. And they will give me a summary of what the charge is and how they got there. And then I get the disclosure however months later and I compare my notes to what the disclosure is and I'm thinking to myself, they had no idea. They had no idea of the severity of the situation. They had no idea how they got there. They completely misconstrued what was told to them. 
And again, and I'm, I'm not saying that the carrier misunderstood. It could very well be the officer misinformed them. And so, I mean, it's a very complicated process. The law is designed that way, right? We don't want people comfortable in a courtroom, right? Because that makes you want to come back. So, so again, you know, jokingly though, the, the education through litigation um, philosophy looks at preparing the carrier to change, right? So you, so the CVR system tells you where your weaknesses are, right? Because that's what that CVR does. It tells you where, where the trends are, where your missteps are, what drivers, you know, not doing or doing. And then you take that, 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 that post event, then you take the charge and I combine those two and I say, okay, look, guys, you've got an inspection issue. You've got drivers that are not doing inspections. That's how you ended up with a pushrod charge. You've got drivers that aren't checking their brakes, et cetera. How do you now, then the client says, well, now what do I do? Well, I put them in touch with people like you. And then they develop training systems, et cetera. At the end of the day, the goal is so that I never get a call again from those people. That's the goal. And I know that that sounds like a terrible business model, but until trucking is no longer an industry, I, I'm fine. <laughs> so, well, so anyway, that's just, I, I, yeah, that's sort of a well-rounded idea behind our philosophy. And that, that's, that's really good. I don't, um, well, I, it's because I don't work for a carrier any longer. Um, right. I don't have the chance to appear in court anymore. Yay. And I don't want yeah. to, uh, you know, but you're right. A lot of people don't understand, um, the whole process. And when I say, why aren't you fighting your charges? Well, God, it costs a lot of money. I said, yeah, it's going to cost you money. But if you hire the right paralegal and tell me if you agree with what I'm telling my clients, you hire the right paralegal and they will either um, know what to plead guilty to because you know this charge may be at six points, but if you negotiate and you pleaded guilty to something else, it's either right. a lesser amount of points or something, or um, sometimes you can legally uh, defer the case coming to in front of a judge. Um, Absolutely. You know, delaying and again, people don't understand the advantage of delaying it. Can you? And I think that out in the industry, there's also this mentality, and I've seen this hundreds of times, where I get a new client and they they adopt this mentality that. Well, I don't want to be, I don't want to, I don't want to make any waves. I don't want to be seen as a, an instigator. I, I just want the ministry to think that I'm a good carrier and I pay my tickets. But the reality is the adverse is true. The Ministry of Transportation wants you challenging your charges. And the reason they want you doing that is because, A, they understand how the system works. But more importantly, they also understand the value of litigation. They, too, are in the same uh, philosophy boat that you will learn by Entering, entering into a courtroom. And I mean, I've had lots of carriers, you know, where we've got, uh, you know, uh, safety representatives coming from, you know, various departments and they come into court and it's a wake up call. It's a wake up call for them to see what happens when they don't do their job. And, uh, and that again takes, uh, a, a chapter out of the, the philosophy book of, uh, education through litigation. And, this is this is this is all we have. I mean, it's it's power through knowledge, um, and the less you know, the worse off you're going to be. And so, you certainly can't approach the trucking industry. I don't know if you can approach any industry, but but I think trucking is at the top of the list with you know the ostrich approach. You you cannot put your head in the sand. You have to 
you have to be a you have to be hungry for knowledge. And uh, anybody who's not is is not going to have a CVR for long. That's my opinion, but I'm paid to have opinions, so I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> well, and you're absolutely right. I mean, you've probably been to um, St. Paul Street. I've been to St. Yeah. Paul Street uh, on both interviews and show cause hearings. Um, they're not pleasant, and they usually happen. Well, the show cause hearings we know generally happen when you're over a hundred percent, right? But the audits happen when you're over fifty percent of your overall violation. That's right. So, and then you've got the ministry breathing down your neck. That's one part. Okay, now how do you deal with that at the same time that you've got an insurance your your insurance renewal is up, and they're looking at your CVOR, and they're going either A you're uninsurable, or B, it's going, it's cost prohibitive to put a truck on the road because your insurance costs are so high because your CVOR is in the toilet. And I think that that's, um, that's something that a lot of carriers know too late. Well, but if, you, if, if you've arrived at, the, at, at St. Paul Street and the ministry's had uh, enforcement office, um, too little too late in, in my view. I mean, it's very, very difficult to come back from that. It's difficult to come back from that for a number of reasons, but I think the, the, the most um, notable is that bad carriers, and that's the problem with the warning letter, right? The warning letter is the flag. It's the, it's, you're supposed to say, okay, everybody stop what we're doing. We've got a problem. We need to fix it. They don't want you telling them about how you're going to just fix the problem. And a lot of people don't take that step and then end up having to answer to the ministry while the insurance companies in the background going, oh, by the way, your premiums have increased, you know, by, by 25 or 30%. Uh, for the, those who are listening, um, if you don't know, the warning letter Jody's talking about comes out when your overall violation rate goes above 35%. Right. It's kind of the first intervention level, I think, where all of a sudden they're going to start paying more attention to you at the scales. Uh, they've warned you to start looking at your CVOR system. And then at 50%, I think um, you're gonna see an increase for sure of activity at the scales because they're getting ready uh, to come in and knock on your door. That's right. But now it's important to note though, Chris, that the warning letter is not only reserved for the excess of 35% of your overall violation rate, it is also now something standardized for the Ministry of Transportation for critical events. So, if you've had an impound that qualifies as a critical event, you've had a fatality or you've had um, a significant damage uh, accident, that's going to trigger a warning. So, and we're seeing them more and more. And I've got clients that are, you know, they, they have a 12%, their eyes on the prize, right? Overall violation rate. That's the only thing they think about because they've listened to me well enough. But then they go, oh, I have a warning letter. I thought I, thought I was supposed to be over 35. And I say, no, there's, you know, there's obviously a foundation of purpose from the ministry doing that, but uh, that's something that we're seeing uh, almost standardized now. And so it's something that a lot of carriers need to be aware that that, one, that letter is coming. And obviously it goes in your file. So should you be that actor that does find themselves in an interview situation, um, guess who's going to, what's the first thing they're going to take out of that file? It's going to be that warning letter. Well, I mean, have you represented or not represented, but have you been at carriers when uh, the audits are going on? I have it's many, many years ago, and you have to appreciate that 
that could thrust me into the situation where I'm now a witness for my client and I can't represent my client and be a witness for them. So I step back. And, um, uh, and so I, I think that a lot of them are now uh, prepared, right, through people like, like you, like the, like the system that you're developing. Um, a, a lot more people are educated as to what happens in an audit, uh, what your obligations are, what your rights are. And um, so, so I like, I'm seeing a very different, um, um, very different number of charges, different types of charges, and a different mentality that goes along with the audit process from the carrier and the ministry perspective. What do you mean by different types and different amount of charges? Are they going up, down, which way? Yeah, um, well, it depends on your, your jurisdiction. So, <laughs> right, I mean, different parts of the province are going to see different auditors and they will have a different motivation. And so there's going to be numbers will be different and the charge types will be different. If I had to give an average, I would say, of course, still hours of service is exactly where the ministry heads. That is the majority of charges that we see. Uh, so it's going to be definitely uh, not, not so much over hours anymore, but definitely the paperwork that attaches to the hours of service. We see a lot of those types of charges. And we are seeing a lot of audits that are conducted as a result of complaints versus carriers that are exceeding 50%. So that's something, it's, and I, I think it's coming down to uh, manpower. Focus on the guys that you know already have a problem. Somebody has already reported them as having a problem. They know exactly where to look. And so we're talking about man hours are reduced uh, and charges are, are, are ultimately laid and they're very focused. Yeah. It may be just one driver that they're looking at. Yeah, I hadn't heard that they are, um, I don't know that they're doing fewer, I would imagine they're probably doing fewer um, audits as well because you've mentioned manpower. Um, oh, yeah. I think we're in a, and uh, we're taping this during COVID-19, the pandemic, and I really wonder how, this is one of the, the things in the back of my head all the time, as our governments, both federal and provincial, have been, I think, very generous to us all uh, financially during this. Um, I wonder what the heck it's going to do to our tax structure later on, and how it's yeah. going to affect things like the ministry and their manpower and their ability to do their job. Uh, right. I mean, remember, just before COVID-19 uh, was a thing, there was this looming threat of an MTO strike, right? That was something that, that had been publicized. That is, a lot of officers were talking about that. And if, obviously, COVID kind of, you know, hushed everybody. But, it's you know, the, these, are, these are realities. These are... Um, uh, uh, definite concerns, I think, in the enforcement industry, and it'll be interesting to see where the balance of resources uh, um, ends up. Is it going to be more audits? Are, because I don't know, and I, again, I mean, I've been doing, you know, defending carriers from audit charges for as long as I've been doing this, and I can honestly say that um, it doesn't create the behavioral change that the ministry thinks it does. But roadside, roadside inspections do, right? Because of all the downtime and the involvement of the driver, there's just so much more to it that 
the catalyst for change, because that's really what they're trying to do, they being the ministry. So the catalyst for change, I think, um, is much more prevalent in the roadside charge versus the audit charge. The audit charge comes down to numbers and money. And uh, that's not effective. And the other part of an audit, um, unfortunately, is the rating. And right now with insurance, the outcome of an audit is, I believe, critical in this hard insurance market because if you get a conditional rating, um, yeah. it's very tough to get a renewal nowadays. It is. And I mean, I have, I have one carrier that I dealt with this morning. And, um, and I mean, he's got, he's in the, the low 20s. I, I want to say 21, 22% OVR. And uh, I mean, not bad considering his, the commodity that he hauls. Uh, but he's conditional, and he's conditional because he was he failed an audit. But he failed an audit something like four years ago, and you know, and, and he didn't realize the value of what what that conditional rating did for him. He's thinking, ah, I'm not worried about it. You know, so what? It can sit there. I've, I've had the same contracts I've had for ten years. They're not going anywhere. And I said to him, you know, you're paying a premium because you have that 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 uh, safety rating. You're you're paying more money to your insurance company than you ordinarily would if you would just pass an audit and become satisfactory. Because he's ready to go, but he doesn't see the value in it. And, and I, I mean, I, you and I are on the same page about this, and that is that nobody should be inviting the ministry in to do an audit unless they've cleaned their house. And that means you have somebody come in and do an independent audit before you invite them in. Because uh, I, I think the proof is in the pudding, meaning every charge I've ever seen or every audit I've ever seen where carriers have, invi have invited the ministry, the scrutiny level is so much more intense because the ministry is expecting your house to be clean. And the minute they find something, it's, you know, it's a mushroom cloud. Yep. Oh, sorry. Um, I just hit the wrong button. Let me get back there. The, um, regarding audits, you'd mentioned that you believe the most frequent charges are in the hours of service area now? now and have always been okay um yeah because obviously with the event of elds it mm -hmm. should make it easier for the carrier to do their own audit and make sure that they're right. in compliance are you finding that it's working so uh to be honest we are not seeing a lot of carriers that have committed to the elds fully oh. uh getting audited Right, and and when I say that, so you've got a lot of carriers that are going to got this hybrid ELD paper system going on, and that's a recipe for disaster um, because it's confusing and it's tough to follow as an as an in-house audit. If you're trying to audit your own documents, you've got the ELD system, you've got your papers. It's a disaster. So that, in my view, is uh, low-hanging fruit, right? The ministry knows this because you've gone through a scale. The minute you go through an inspection station, you've opened the book to the ministry, and the ministry is creating a record on that CVIR, and that is all being tallied, and that helps the ministry come out at time. Um, I think it will come to an end. I think that the, the hours of service, service audit charges for um, for those carriers that are still either hybrid or fully paper, um, eventually will come to an end with full ELD. But I don't I don't know if I I don't know where the end is. <laughs> well, 
What have you heard, just out of curiosity, have you heard when ELDs might be mandated for Canada or for Ontario? So the date was, was uh, June of 2022. Right. The hold up, of course, is how do you make, or how, how do we select one provider over the other? What is the process to say, you know, is it, is it ABC uh, ELD? Or is it one, two, three ELD that's going to be the selected provider? And that is the holdup, right? We don't want to go the American system. We know that doesn't work. That's a disaster. <laughs> Sorry, any American listeners, but the ELD system down there. No, no. You guys so, that, so that's our luck. Yeah. It really didn't work. Right. Expletive, expletive. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, so that's the holdup. Yeah, and I've heard that um, the, well, actually, um, not StatsCan, who's, anyways, the people that are going to be monitoring the ELD systems, they've got the the uh, framework now for how to approve an ELD system. Uh, and I heard that they're actually open to accepting ELD systems now and starting to evaluate them, so. That's interesting. Um, and I mean, you know, we see we see a lot of carriers that are um, subscribing to the ELD system, and you you know you're taking old dogs, treating, teaching them new tricks. You know, you got old drivers. Learn. I I feel for them, um, but you have a lot of enforcement. Um, not so much MTO. Uh, I want to say that there's a, a good educational format for the MTO, especially in the past. 12 to 16 months uh, for ELDs, but regional and provincial uh, enforcement is not ready, and they don't know what they're doing, and so unfortunately you see a lot of illegitimate charges, meaning that they've simply made a mistake in the interpretation of the legislation, and um, I, 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 don't, um, I don't stomach those charges very well. I, I, I mean, the trucking industry is tough enough. And then you bring that into the mix, and I become quite passionate. And so you might might, might want to mute my mic because I, I, I yeah. So I, <laughs> I, I get excited when I see those types of charges, and um, and uh, that's always what you see in a transition period, right? The same applied to SPIF. So when the SPIF rules came in, you had everybody thinking that it was one way, and you had, you know, so-called experts, and oh, we're still going through that. So change is not easy. Now, SPIF, do you remember what the acronym is for those people who, like myself, I know it has to do with the self-steering axles, but what is... Right, so the SPIF stands for self... Or sorry. Um, Uh-oh. Safe, productive, infrastructure friendly. There. See, I've forgotten. I got it. Oh, I had to dig deep. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> but that's what it stands for, and you know, and, and again, it's a, it is a, a confusing piece of legislation, a good piece of legislation, but confusing. Um, there are legislative gaps, uh, just as there are with any piece of legislation that's new, and we're still trying to work them out. I mean, think about it; that's been since uh, 2005, yeah. right? And and you, you know, you still say this, and people go, "What? What are you talking about?" Well, but, unless you okay. had um, multi-axle trailers greater than a tandem. Sure. You may not even know what the heck we're talking about, really. That's true. Yeah. You know. So um, one last thing uh, you mentioned to me: you you can't, you don't fight, you can't win. 
Yes. What do you mean by that? That will take us right back to the beginning of this. And, and people, I'll answer the question. You can't, if you don't fight, you can't win. The court system is much like the lottery, right? You can't win the lottery if you don't buy the ticket. And it's much the same thing when you're looking at defending a charge. There is no possibility for you to walk out with any change in your current situation if you don't take the opportunity to defend against the charge. And it's true. You may not win. That's absolutely true. I mean, the burden is on the prosecution to prove that charge beyond a reasonable doubt. But some of these charges are quite simplistic in nature, and it doesn't take much to get there. Having said that, um, in my view, if that charge carries points, you must defend the charge regardless of what you perceive to be your defense at the early stage of deciding whether you should fight it or not. Because I would tell you 50% of the cases where, uh, where we don't know what the defense is, come the disclosure time, we've got one. And, uh, you know, and it's viable. And whether it be evidentiary-based, in other words, I've got witnesses I can call, I've got cross-examination of witnesses that may produce something, or we proceed on a more technical defense, meaning there's something wrong in the law and we can argue that. So the, the reality is there, the law is on the prosecution side, that is the truth, but at the end of the day, um, you want to take the opportunity, you're going to learn something with the right legal representation, the end of the day, the ministry is watching, and when it comes time, you will have something to say about the efforts that you've taken to at least mitigate your CVOR. That's the only thing you can do. Yeah, and I think, you know, if, if people take one thing away from this uh, interview with you, and I thank you very much for that, is you've got to learn how to protect your CVOR. Um, yeah. Because, you know, to say to, it'll, it will put you out of business right now, either the insurance industry or the MTO, if it gets bad right. enough. Um, right. And conditional ratings right now with insurance are just unacceptable. And so... It is. And I mean, and the, the, the reality is that the ministry, of course, is aware of all the carriers out there with, we say conditional, but of course you know that there are carriers with trucks on the road that are unsatisfactory. Yeah. That's shocking. Um, and... Um, the ministry, of course, has to focus on, on them first. I think there is a, a, a prioritization uh, within the ministry structure of who they're going to focus on, when. Um, but don't assume that just because you have a low overall violation rate that the ministry can't come calling. Um, you know, there, there, there are many, many factors of consideration. And, um, but a lot they of are not aware of the fact that, that driver-related charges impact their CVOR. They think that, oh, well, you know, we don't need to defend the driver charge because he's on his own or she's on her own. And I, I think to myself, um, are you crazy? I mean, that, that charge carries five CVOR points and you're just going to let them go out there defending themselves, right? Because many, many drivers can't afford legal representation. They're just going to let them dictate what happens to their CVOR. And, um, and I've, I've, I've used this analogy often. I said, um, letting a driver dictate what happens and you caring only about you is much like trying to cut the grass when the house is on fire. Like, what are you doing? You've got a very caustic situation that can only be cured by focusing on the whole problem. And a lot of carriers miss that mark. And, and you know what? Even, even if you show them on their CVOR, there is, they're very reticent to, to, to believe you. 
And I believe it's because way back when that wasn't the thing, right? I mean, I, I can't remember the CVOR when I very first started. Um, I mean, it really caught my attention in, in 05, 06, 07. That's when I, I really started to delve into it and understand it. But prior to that, it wasn't something the ministry really kept tabs on, and it wasn't something that consequently carriers cared much about. And uh, there was a residual effect of that even today. Well, and I think it's just more recent. Um, in the last five years, insurance carriers have cared about it. But in the last two, um, there are companies out there who have, I'm sure you know that insurance companies have what they call filed rules with the government. And some of them have filed rules saying we will not insure a conditional carrier. Okay. Which is devastating. Anyways, yeah. sorry to, to wrap this up because we're getting. Um, oh my gosh! Yeah, it's just been we a great topic. The whole world, I could, I we could do this podcast for three days. <laughs> <laughs> what What else is on your mind before we uh, close out? I am. Um, I, I think uh, you know, in, in a in a a summary um, sentence, uh, carriers should seek out free legal consultation, because that is, in my view, the least expensive and most effective thing that they can do as part of the learning process. So you got to charge. Don't assume you know everything. Seek out competence and a free consultation, because anybody worth their salt will offer that to you. And from there, that's going to give you or propel you in one direction or the other. I mean, we've got a lot of carriers who spend a lot of money defending charges that don't matter, right? And then, and then they, they fail to recognize the ones that do. And this, that's, in my view, the free consultation is the stepping stone to moving forward. Well, and, and credit to you. Every time um, I've been with a carrier and we've sent something over to you, we always get, in a timely fashion, a quote back with the defense. And, you know, so the carrier can make a, a legit decision on what they Fully want to do. Sorry? Fully in fully informed decision that is our motto yeah yeah so i appreciate that and often carriers will come to me because i do the cbor calculations and i can say okay if you get convicted this is what it's going to do um and i can take a look at that for them so absolutely and that's part of it right it's just thought, it's the risk reward balance and um so many carriers are in the dark and, and I get it. I, I understand it. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine the logistical components to the trucking business, the business of trucking, and then you add the ministry component to what you're trying to do. The, it, it's a lot, and um, it does require properly trained, competent people helping, uh, but you have to know you need the help to begin with. Yeah, it's, it's so tough. To make a profit right now, there's so many things to keep as a trucking company owner to keep their eye on. CVR and charges, and that's only one thing. Um, it, it's tough right now, Jody. And I mean, it, it's been tough for years. Yeah. Yeah. It hasn't been much fun for. I'm hoping after COVID's over, maybe the fun will return. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, it's unfortunate, but I'm predicting that. Some trucking companies won't make it through. Um, I don't know if you saw the news today, the day that we're taping this, uh, Hertz, um, the car rental company in the States has filed for bankruptcy. 
So oh, I believe it. Um, and that's because all of a sudden there's no rentals. You know, aren't going. Yeah. Yeah, and so there's many companies and trucking companies are highly leveraged uh, organizations generally with big loans because of the price of the equipment. And there's not a lot of profit. Um, it's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, and then you've, you've got equipment issues. You've got human resource issues. Uh, I mean, drivers, God love them. They are a breed and they're, you know, they're not easy to deal with. And, um, you know, there's, uh, there's, there's many different types of driver and, um, of course, we only see the bad apples. <laughs> I joke all the time and say I only have innocent clients, but um, right. But it, there, that's that's definitely a consideration. It's um, it. These are not machines. They are not machines driving machines, and uh, and that's that's not an easy part to deal with either. Yeah, no, that that's great. And Jody, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the uh, the dog on it, trucking twentieth episode podcast. Uh, so thanks so much. Uh, any last words? Um, anybody that needs us, Burnett Paralegal is there. Well, we'll have all your contact info in the show notes below. You can reach out to Thank Jody you. at any time. Thanks, Jody, so much. All right. I hope you loved the show as much as I did. Please leave us a like, a thumbs up. A review, a comment, a rating, if it is in your heart. Thank you so much. And I do really appreciate your time. And join us again next week for another exciting interview.